Sirs, moms, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Redcoat History Podcast. The place for people who love British history and appreciate a good old-fashioned tale of daring do. Today, we're returning to India. It's 1857 and the mutiny, also known as the Indian Rebellion or in some parts of India, the First War of Independence, is still going strong. We recently took a deep dive into the fight for Delhi, and today we're looking at the Siege of Lucknow, another fascinating and important battle. FYI, today's episode was filmed on location for my YouTube channel, so apologies that once or twice I do mention places that you can't actually see listening to the podcast. Hopefully it doesn't affect the story in any way. Okay guys, without further ado, let's get on with today's episode. So today's very exciting. I've finally just arrived in the Indian city of Lucknow, a city that was at the center of the 1857 war known in Britain as the Indian Mutiny. Here is the first war of independence. Lucknow is a huge city in the Indian state of Uttar Pradesh, northeast of Delhi. In 1857, when the mutiny began, it had only recently been annexed by the East India Company and was a hotbed of anger, a place ripe for insurrection. There was less than a thousand British troops in the vicinity of Lucknow and they were separated and spread out across the region. They were massively outnumbered by the sepoys. In charge here was Brigadier General Sir Henry Montgomery Lawrence, Henry Lawrence as he's most commonly known. Like so many great British officers of the era, he was a tough Scots-Irishman. He was an experienced administrator who had served in the First Anglo-Burmese War before making his name in the Punjab. He had arrived in Lucknow in March 1857, just two months before the Sepoy Mutiny began. Lawrence lived here at the residency, the place that is to be at the centre of today's story. It was a large building, originally constructed in 1780. Historian Saul David wrote that, surrounding the residency was the official district, which covered an area in excess of 60 acres. It contained a variety of detached buildings, including a banqueting hall, treasury, hospital, church, storerooms and houses for Lawrence's subordinates, and was entered through a brick archway known as the Bailey Guard Gate. As soon as word reached Lawrence of the outbreak of the mutiny at Meerut, he began to prepare. Ditches were dug, walls were loopholed, artillery was put into position. Even a number of local buildings outside of the compound were demolished to maximise fields of fire. Lawrence was determined that his small force would have every advantage possible. You can still visit the compound today. It's wonderfully preserved. One thing with the residency compound here is it's actually really big. You kind of don't get a sense of how big it is till you come. And the residency grounds where we're exploring now, they're not even the whole thing. It's not even the whole perimeter that was defended in 1857. When the local Bengal regiments mutinied, Lawrence and the Europeans of the area were here and ready for them. But, showing overconfidence, Lawrence led his small force out of the residency to bring the mutineers to battle. The fight at Chin Hut or Chin Hat was a disaster that saw the British and their loyal sepoys well beaten and forced back to their compound. So the small British garrison here was surrounded by about 8,000 rebel troops. Those rebels, as you can see, had heavy artillery and they were willing to use them. On the 30th of June, the bombardment began. The cannons began to fire. And a VC was won by Corporal William Oxenden out of the 32nd foot. His VC citation says, 
for distinguished gallantry in saving the life of Mr. Kappa of the Bengal Civil Service by extricating him from the ruins of the veranda which had fallen on him, Corporal Oxenham being for 10 minutes exposed to a heavy fire while doing so. And here well preserved is the impressive monument to Oxenham's regiment, the 32nd Foot, who later had fame as the Duke of Cornwall's Light Infantry. It says here to commemorate the gallant part taken by Her Majesty's 32nd Foot in the heroic defence of the residency. Also to the memory of the officers, NCOs, men, women and children of the regiment who perished here and at Cornfall. Okay guys, I just want to take a quick break there to mention my website, redcoathistory.com. Sign up for my newsletter and receive your free ebook all about the Battle of Isandwana. I'm also working on a novel set during the mutiny, so keep in touch to find out more about that. Okay, let's get back to the story. There was now about 3,000 people in the residency compound. Just over 1,700 combatants and 1,280 civilians. They were vastly outnumbered. And the odds of their survival looked even worse when disaster struck on the 2nd of July. Lawrence was relaxing on a couch in his quarters when a shell burst beside him and shattered his thigh. He died of his wounds two days later. The burial ground where Henry Lawrence lies is close to the residency. Near the gate is his tomb, a flat slab of white marble on which is inscribed, Here lie the remains of Henry Lawrence, who tried to do his duty. May the Lord have mercy on his soul. A fitting epitaph for any warrior. I must say the cemetery here is in fantastic condition. My local friends tell me that it, a lot of work has gone into cleaning this place up recently and you can really tell. Colonel John Inglis of the 32nd now took command as the fighting grew heavier. The sepoys and their allies were numerous and they were brave. They attacked constantly but... Their biggest problem was that despite their numbers and their weaponry, there was no real overall command and control and things began to break down, which is why their attacks were repulsed. Against all the odds, the exhausted and overstretched defenders hung on. At the main entrance to the compound is the Bailey Guard Gate. It's named after Colonel Bailey, a former resident of Lucknow. It was here that burly Jock Aitken and his devoted band of sepoys of the 13th Native Infantry dug in and held it throughout the entire siege. The attacking sepoys were determined to take this position, but poor sighting and use of their artillery meant they were never really able to do so. So just by the gate as you come in is this memorial, this monument erected to the memory of Colonel Robert Hope Moncrief Aitken VC, Bengal Staff Corps, and formerly of the 13th Regiment Bengal Infantry. So this monument, which is starting to fall apart a little bit and is hard to read, is to the memory of the native officers and sepoys of the 13th and 46th Native Infantry, 41st and 71st, the Oud Irregular Force, or Avad Irregular Force, native pensioners, new native levies, artillery and Look Now magazine, who died near this spot. And amazingly, here amongst the bushes is a shoe from one of those sepoys. Okay, it's not really. So it's amazing to think this post here, Martiniere Post, was defended by mainly schoolboys. They were under the command of Mr. Schilling, their teacher. And even when they were joined by regular troops of the 32nd, Mr. Schilling remained in command of this post. I think that tells you everything you need to know about him as a man. 
And guys, La Martiniere College is probably the most interesting school in the world. I have an entire video coming up about it soon. It's a wonderful place packed with secrets. You don't want to miss that video, so please subscribe, hit that notification bell. And the fighting wasn't just happening above ground. Even underground, the sepoys dug down to try and undermine the defences. At the slightest noise, the defenders would jump to the floor, listening intently. In his book, Sketches and Incidents in Lucknow by Lieutenant Clifford Meacham, he said, A more serious operation, however, was to lie quietly at the end of the mine, listening to the enemy's miner coming closer and closer, until his pickaxe actually pierced the gallery and exposed the disconcerted workmen to the view and to the ready pistol of the gallant solitary sentinel. To perform this exploit was the glory and delight of the much-lamented Fulton. For hours together he would remain at the post regardless of the intense heat, of the excessive discomfort and careless of the extreme danger, like a terrier watching at a rat hole. Whew, I don't know about you, but that is not a task I would relish. Meanwhile, as the defenders battled the rebels as best they could, a relief force was slowly trying to make its way through to them. Major General Henry Havelock led a small force for the relief of Cornpore and Lucknow. He reached Cornpore, but was too late to stop the surrender and massacre of the defenders there. See an earlier video of mine for more on that. He then tried to advance to Lucknow, but his force was decimated by illness and too weak to fight its way across the 48 miles of enemy-controlled territory. With Havelock unable to fight his way through here to Lucknow, he sent a message to Colonel Inglis recommending that he try and break out. But that was unrealistic. With the number of casualties, the number of civilians he had with him, there was no way he could do it. Major General Sir James Outram now arrived with extra reinforcements and took over from Havelock. His relief force now numbered just over 3,000 men, including six British and one Sikh infantry battalion. The force was divided into two brigades, one under Brigadier James Neal of the Madras Europeans and the other under Colonel Hamilton of the 78th Highlanders. The dangerous march from Corpore to Lucknow began on the 18th of September 1857. Days of tough fighting followed. By the 23rd of September, the force had reached the edge of the city. Brutal street fighting ensued as the Redcoats moved along the narrow alleyways. They were taking heavy fire all the way. Casualties were very heavy. Amongst those killed was General Neal, shot in the head as he advanced by a rebel sepoy. Neal was and still is a bit of a controversial character, brutal in his dealings with Indians and also insubordinate and highly critical of Havelock. But for all of his faults, he was certainly a brave warrior. On the 25th of September, Havelock and Outram's force finally reached the residency. The siege had been going on for 87 days, but there was still no end in sight. So despite managing to fight their way in here, Outram and Havelock realised they were now stuck as well. They'd taken too many casualties to get here, and there was no way they had the force to then break out again. The extra men, though, meant that the defenders could expand their perimeter and improve their defensive positions substantially. By a sheer stroke of luck, extra food that had been hidden by Lawrence under the residency was finally discovered. This meant that the men could prepare for more battles to come without the fear of going hungry. But the battle was far from over. The sepoys were strong, they were stubborn, and they were determined to keep fighting. Soon I'm going to be looking at the relief of Lucknow, when Campbell's relief force battered their way through, winning the most ever Victoria Crosses in a single day. It's an amazing story packed with bravery and daring do. Subscribe and hit the notification bell so that you don't miss it.